Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome yourself back to the Shine Out Show. I am most certainly not going to do that for you. So, without further ado, I present your kinder and more sensitive host, Noah Meyer. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey. Um, hey, guys. Uh, just want to say thank you for tuning back in to the Shine Out Show, where we'll talk about just about anything you've got in mind. Um, today is going to be a thought-provoking sort of day, so strap yourselves in because you're about to go on a ride, a thought ride. Uh, well, uh, you know, I want to say, uh, last week was an an introductory episode. We talked about just what the show is about, what I'm going to be doing. It was basically a 30 minute monologue of me telling you what I'm going to be talking about. So take that what you will, but if you're interested, go back and listen to that and uh, and this episode, though, we're talking about something far different because we're we're actually going to get into some real material. Uh, we're going to start talking about in this episode um, some philosophical topics. So specifically in this episode, I'm going to talk about well, what constitutes a self? What actually defines who you are? And is that something that you need to actually think about? I think it might be, but we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about what a thought is and if you have any thought that you can really say is your own in the terms of, well, in the terms of you decided to think it. Uh, so we'll, 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 th- we'll talk more about that. So that's kind of what, where I'm going to go with this episode. It's very philosophical and we're not going to come to any conclusions. However, I will tell you what I believe, and I'll, I will uh, bring you guys into the know of, of some of the common thought that's out there currently. Um, so, but first of all, uh, I want to give you a little bit of a life update. I am going to Cuba for spring break this, this, uh, this spring break. Um, that is uh, in March. And I'm going with an organization called Filter of Hope. Now, Filter of Hope essentially is, an, is a Christian organization where they distribute water filters to people going to countries where clean water is not easily accessible. So they use these to distribute to people to make it easier for them to drink clean water and use clean water every day. What's great about it, however, is that you can use this as a uh, sort of to get your foot in the door, but it's also a beautiful illustration to for the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And this, uh, just as a, a water filter purifies dirty water into clean water, Jesus Christ being the living water takes what is dead and makes it makes it clean, makes it white as snow, makes it a new creation in each one of our lives. So it's a beautiful illustration of that, and I think we're going to share some pretty good news while we're over in Cuba. So I'm excited about that. If you're interested in supporting that um, that trip, 
You can go and find me on Mission Minder. You can type in Noah Meyer, and you should be able to find a trip to Cuba uh, using that. And you can support and donate on that website. Thank you. Uh, now, <clears throat> the today, by the way, is February 25th. And it's sad, but today, tonight, well, I should say, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics closing ceremonies have already occurred. And they occurred at 6 o'clock this morning, which was a different time in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Obviously, they had it in the evening. However, unless you're ridiculous and you really care that much about waking up to see the closing ceremonies of something going on halfway around the world, well, props to you for doing that. But if you're interested, the closing ceremonies are tonight at 8 p.m. on NBC. And it's, you know, I always get a little sad when the Olympics are finally closing down because it's just such a wonderful time of unity in the world and you can kind of just forget about all the conflict going on in the world for a couple weeks and just think, well, wow, this is, this is a little bit of a glimpse of what the world is going to be like when Jesus is reigning on earth, which is very exciting. Um, but let's, let's look at this a little bit further. We, I mean, did you know that the last time the United States placed in the Winter Olympics, overall, I'm talking the overall, the closing ceremonies, where you see the first, second, and third place countries who won the most amount of medals and all that, you know, the, the last time the U.S. placed was, was, was even placed, and they placed second. This was in 2002 in the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. It has been, folks, it has been 16 years since the United States has placed in the Winter Olympics. We, of course, have not, did not place this year. We came in fourth with a whopping 23 medals, which is a little bit sad, a little bit sad. Um, you know who got first? Norway got first. Is that a big surprise? Well, Norway is, of course, used to the wintry snow. They're a wintry wonderland themselves. They're used to all this. Of course, they've got to show out and compete. Of course, they, uh, they have placed in the, the past who knows how many years. They're regulars up there on that podium for the Winter Olympics. So props to them. They've got 38 medals, um, which, is, which is great. Um, they, now this is, this is interesting though. Norway has 109 athletes. Okay. It's a good amount of athletes, especially if they're, they're actually coming from Norway where it is snowy and wintry. Well, good for them. Uh, you know, they're used to all that. However, the United States, which by the way, of course, we've got wintry regions here. Uh, we've got 244 athletes in the winter Olympics this year. And here we are placing in fourth. Hey, I'm still proud of my country. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And uh, so, yeah, tune in to NBC tonight to watch the closing ceremonies. You know that's what I'll be doing. Um, and then the last thing, just to give you a, a final update um, on everything, is I am, a, uh, I, I am leading a Bible study in my fraternity house at Georgia Tech. And I just want to share with you guys one of the main takeaways that we had from this past Bible study. Now, we talked about 
why we can trust Jesus and what he says. And from a Christian standpoint, I think that's important because I think we ought to believe, we ought to know why we can even trust what Jesus says, what 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 uh, what is written in the Gospels. Why can we believe that? And um, so we kind of we analyze that from a non-Christian perspective. It's important to to know why we can trust what Jesus says. Uh, if you want to know about what he says. And, and especially, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're curious about the faith and you, you want to know, well, okay, well, you know, the entire Christian faith is rests on the shoulders of Jesus. So if we can't even trust what he says, then why could an entire faith be dependent on him? Well, we analyze that a little bit. Now it's a big topic and there's a lot of reasons we can trust Jesus. And each one of those reasons we can study tremendously um, for example, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Uh, Jesus prophesied himself, and of course, Jesus rose from the dead. Now we can study each one of those things individually, but at the Bible study, we kind of just briefly went over each one. However, I want to share with you guys the main takeaway, which was uh, a little bit of analysis on C- uh, C.S. Lewis's trilemma. And of course, he didn't think of this, but he worded it very well. And and so well, in fact, that it has been coined as C.S. Lewis's trilemma. Um, And I'm just going to read it to you guys here, uh, just so you can just so you can hear it. All right. So it goes like this. C.S. Lewis writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Speaking of Jesus, of course. This is what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Okay, that's very important to understand. And I think that... We need to recognize that when people say, you know, Jesus, oh, I think he was a great guy. I think he was a good moral teacher. He had some good things to say. Well, on what basis are you judging that off of? Because, because if you don't claim, if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is the Son of God, that God, that Jesus is God incarnate, then you are saying that the words of either a liar or a lunatic are good things. Now, on what basis can you say that those things are good things? Off your personal experience? Well, you've got to find, you've got to find some measure of judgment to justify those words. Anyway, I think that's a very important thing. That is C.S. Lewis's trilemma, if you want to study that more on your own. Um, We're coming to an end of this segment. In the next segment, in the next two segments, we will talk about the what constitutes a self and what a thought is. Remember to check us out, to check me out a little bit more and the show out a little bit more on the shineoutshow.wordpress.com and tune back in. Here we go. Second segment coming in. 
And we're back on. Welcome back to the show, to the Shine Out Show with Noah Meyer. I am Noah Meyer. Thank you for tuning in. And now we are going to dive right in to what constitutes a self. Who are you? That is the question of the ages, folks. Who are you? Who are you really? Okay, well, you might not have thought of this much. In fact, you probably haven't. Um, I hadn't. Now, let me tell you, the reason I started thinking about this in the first place was because, as you all know from the previous episode, I am a philosophy minor, and so we read some very interesting uh, interesting pieces from renowned philosophers. And so it gets, gets our minds thinking about these sorts of things. Now, think about this. Now, I want you all to think for just a moment. When you think, when you describe yourself to other people, of course, you might have to have, to have done this to, or at an interview, or maybe when you've met somebody new, somebody says, tell me about yourself. What do you say? Think about that. Think about that for a moment. What would you say? My guess is that you would probably say things somewhere along the lines of what you're interested in, what you do, maybe what your occupation is, uh, where you go to school, where you live, uh, maybe some of your favorite memories. These things you bring up to describe you, maybe what you believe in as well, what your passions are. These things are descriptive of who you are and I think that's a great way to describe yourself. However, let's analyze that a little bit more because if you look and you think about though about that description, that description is entirely based off of a summation of your experiences, your experiences and your genetics combined together. Now, you might disagree with that. I can't even say that I entirely agree with that. We'll come to my point of view a little bit later on, but this, think about this. When you talk about what you do, what what your vocation is, where you go to school, maybe your favorite vacation spot, you're talking about these experiences that you've had and then your genetics and past experiences, maybe past experiences have affected your attitude toward certain things. Maybe, maybe you went to the beach and you got really sunburned when you were little and it was so horribly painful and you've hated the beach ever since. Well, that is now a part of who you are. You might say, I hate the beach, but you had an experience that led you to hate the beach in the first place. Now, it's the same thing with things that you love. You might have gone to the beach and you have fond memories of building sandcastles with your mom. You remember riding waves, body surfing with your dad and riding those waves and just having a great time in the water. And and ever since then, and maybe you tan well, maybe you don't sunburn like I do. Well, that is a great memory of the beach. And therefore now you describe the beach as a place that you love to go. Those are just, those happen to be two different circumstances, each just as likely as the other to have occurred. However, one occurred and the other didn't, and therefore you end up with a certain attitude toward the beach. Okay, but see, think about this. This happens all the time. This is going on not just with your favorite vacation spot or your least favorite. This is going on with everything. Okay, so when you describe yourself, you're really describing how your experiences have shaped you in the context of your own genetics. So, so, okay, 
but maybe that's not it. But let but let's let's dive in a little bit deeper because if you say you might agree, you say yeah, you know, that's that's about right. That's kind of who I am and okay. So what about this then? What about the person who experiences extreme memory loss? Right? They have they lose all memories. Do they become less of who they were before they lost their memory or are they an entirely different person? Also, people with brain disorders, do uh, people whose uh, personality changes when they experience a traumatic car accident or they, they, uh, a brain tumor begins to grow in their brain, their personality changes. Now, is that person a different person or is it, is it the same person but something about them has changed? Now, if you say it's the same person, but something about them has changed, then, then maybe you are referring to the physical, their physical body, uh, their, their matter, the, the matter that makes up their body and their brain, that they are still in the same body and in the same brain. And so therefore they're the same person. But what if you could transfer somebody's entire conscious being, including memories and all that, into a computer? Would that person now be a different person? Or so maybe you say, well, then it's a combination of the physical and everything, all the memories and experiences and, and emotion and thought. Well, okay. But then, but then when you lose one, when you either lose the memory or you lose the physical body, does that person change? Does it become a new person? Or anyway, it's just things to think about. So it really gets your mind thinking who you are. Believe me, this has already messed with my mind a little bit. So you're not alone if that's, how, if that's where you are right now. One other thing, uh, we look at a, a philosopher, John Locke. He had an illustration. Essentially, um, if you think about a clock and a landscape painting. All right, let's, let's think about specifically, let's think about a landscape painting. Now, you look at the painting and you think, wow, that's a beautiful painting. You're talking about the painting as a whole. It's a beautiful painting. However, he says, he, he says essentially, he says that together, you know, you take all the parts, all the parts sum together into a greater whole, right? But, uh, but to have, and I quote, to, to have clear and distinct ideas, uh, unquote, every aspect of the self you have to, to look at each part separately using our reflection uh, to actually gain that understanding. So you have to, you have to really look at each part of the painting, let's say it's a landscape painting of a meadow, um, you know, and to, to really understand the full painting, you've got to analyze the flower in the bottom right-hand corner of the painting to better understand, to give you a better understanding of the painting. And it's the same thing with our personalities and who we are. When we look at ourselves in, its, in our entirety, that makes us who we are. But to understand ourselves better, we have to look at each individual aspect of who we are and how we came to be that part of who we are. Um, okay, but here's the, here's the question now. What happens when part of that painting changes? Part of that lens, we've got a flower in the bottom right-hand corner, but what if somebody comes over and blotches that flower out with a smudge of blue? Now... The painting has changed. Would you say it's a different painting? Would you say the painting is messed up? 
I would say you would probably say that the painting is the same, but it's been messed up. It's, it's changed. But what happens when you do that to every, every part of the painting? Does the entire painting change or is it a new painting? It's the same deal with our own personalities and who we are. Okay. So let's, let's speed up here. Um, so that, so this is kind of, um, that's John Locke's idea of kind of who we are. But now he also goes into this idea of sleep. Think about when you sleep many times when you wake up the next morning, you do not remember what it is you thought about that night. Um, except for maybe a few dreams here and there, but you go to sleep and you wake up and it doesn't actually feel like eight hours have passed, um, in terms of your own thought. So the question is when you were sleeping, was your brain thinking about things that you just don't remember? And if it was, then does that mean you have two selves? Because otherwise, what would be the point? What would be the point of your brain thinking, but you not remembering it? And if it does, if you have two selves, then, and then perhaps your other self will, and this, it, it would mean that your other self is not communicating with the self that you identify with. But what if the other self is thinking the same thing and that you don't identify with, you, you don't communicate with that self? And well, of course, my ideas on this are simple as it's uh, your brains um, essentially do cease thinking, except for when you're in a dream state. Um, and the, however, the, the brain functions don't shut down. Your brain still works to, of course, maintain functionality of the rest of your body to keep your heart beating, keep your lungs breathing. It does a lot of repair, repairs muscles, and and um, uh, works actively to to heal you when you're sick or you've got you've got you're injured or of some kind. So, of course, brain function does not stop. Um, of course, I think there is only one self, and that's what that is. Now, um, my ideas of the self go further. They, I believe that um, we are who we are because we are made in God's image. And so, we, although a nature versus nurture sort of approach and a summation of experiences and genetics all kind of form together part of who we are, but it's not really the depth of who we are. It's a good way of, to des- of describing you and the, the place that God has pushed you in your life, but it is not the, the realness of who you are. I, I like this quote to, to close off this segment. Um, I like this quote by C.S. Lewis that I'm going to read real quick. And I know I read, an, I read another C.S. Lewis quote, but this is another great one. He's talking about who we are, who our, what our personality is, and who a, a self is, and, and that you cannot have a self apart from, from Christ. Now, listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, there are no real personalities apart from God. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found most among the most natural men, not among those who surrender to Christ. How monotonously alike all the great tyrants and conquerors have been. How gloriously different are the saints. But there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. 
Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you are not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours, and yours just because it is his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. I think that's very important as Christians to remember that we must be seeking Christ. First off, we Christ calls us to die to ourselves. I like that one part in there where C.S. Lewis says, uh, nothing that you have, nothing that you have not given away will really will be yours. Really, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. If you want you, all of who you are, all of who you are designed and created to be, to be raised again when Jesus comes back and when He's He is sanctifying us and and restoring us, you have to die. All of what you are has to die. And I think that's very important because until you do that, you will not have a real self in terms of the person that God created you to be. Okay, so I've definitely gone over on this segment. So uh, let us uh, let us close out. All right, next segment coming up. And welcome to segment three. Segment three. Yes, here we go. We are rolling. All right. So segment three. What are we talking about in segment three? Segment three, segment three, segment three. How many more times can I say segment three? Well, in segment three, we're going to be talking about thoughts and decisions and what your thoughts actually are. And this kind of goes hand in hand with yourself, like what we were talking about in the last segment. However, it's a little bit different. So what do you think your thoughts are? This is a a very interesting question because it comes down to a question of free will and determinism. Now, we're not going to get into that whole debate in this episode um, because we could talk about free will and determinism. We could talk about free will and predestination from a biblical standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, and it's all interesting. But here, we're just going to analyze philosophically what our thoughts are. Now, a common belief is that our thoughts are are stem directly from nature and nurture, just like your personality and yourself, that essentially it is your thoughts and your decisions and your choices and your thoughts, everything about your thoughts are essentially your neurons firing off memories, emotions, genetics, built up beliefs, sensory information coming in this very moment, all come together to form your next thought. All of that contributes to your next thought right now. What your next thought is, is all determined on your memories, your emotions, your genetics, your beliefs, the sensory information, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, and then the neurons in your brain firing off in accordance with all of those 
and boom, there's your next thought. Very, a very interesting discussion and one that I, um, one that is difficult for me to, to really fully understand. And I, I believe that this is something that goes beyond our understanding. I think when you talk about free will in terms of the biblical point of view or a true point of view, the point of view of God, your free will is supernatural. Now, we're not going to get into supernatural things exactly, but I believe that that from a physical standpoint, what I said about neurons, the neurons and the memories and the emotions, the genetics and beliefs, all the nature and nurture coming together from a physical standpoint, that's what's happening and that's what's causing your thoughts. However, I believe that we do have control. We do have control over our thoughts and that is supernatural. Now, now listen to this though. Uh, I'm going to read another quote. Um, you're beginning to see that I like quotes. Quotes are, are good. I think they make you think um, from renowned people. And, and this quote is, is from Victor Hugo uh, in Les Miserables, a classic, of course. Uh, and uh, he's talking about um, basically, he, this, this is when the, the bishop and Jean Valjean um, are talking. Uh, the bishop is telling Jean Valjean to to lead to lead a better life, um, and that he's not going to he's not going to um, prosecute him for the stolen goods. So this is what it says. Um, um, it says that this is uh, this is the bishop talking. He says, "Do not forget. Do not ever forget that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man." Valjean, who did not recall having made any promise, was silent. The bishop had spoken the words slowly and deliberately. He concluded with a solemn emphasis. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to what is evil, but to what is good. I have bought your soul to save it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. So, that is a very inspirational thing to say. Okay, because as you know from the book, or if you've seen the movie, one of the movies, you know that Jean Valjean goes on to lead a wonderful life, a selfless life, because of what this bishop did for him. But the question comes down to, did Jean Valjean do, do that? Did he lead a better life? Not because, quote, the bishop gives it to God, but rather because Valjean was so inspired by the selflessness of the bishop that he decided to lead a better life, that it was that inspiring for him. Now, I believe that any form of inspiration cannot have the kind of impact that it had on Valjean. Now, I know this is a fictional story, but the point is well taken. Valjean led a better life, not because he was simply inspired, but because his soul was 
bought with a price. And I think Valjean did give it to God in that moment. Also, what I believe stems a lot from Psalm 139, which I'm going to read very quickly here right now. He's, in Jean Valjean, David says, You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, I'm going to stop right there, but I could keep going, but we're going to stop right there because I want to analyze this point right here. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Before a thought, he says, you search me, Lord, you know me, you know, and I said, he says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. The Lord knows the thoughts of David better than David does. He knows a word Perhaps a decision that David is going to make before David even knows he's going to make it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me but too, and too lofty for me to attain. Now, that, I believe, comes from the knowledge that God has, knowledge that God has about our own free will is too much too lofty to, for us to understand. It is, it is far beyond, that knowledge is far beyond what our limited minds can comprehend. That even our own capacity to choose and to think as we will in the will of God is beyond what we can come close to understanding. And David addresses that just there. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Anyway, and then, and then of course, David goes on to talk about how he can't escape the presence of God and God is with him no matter where he goes and, um, and how God was there from the beginning, from the very moment he was conceived, God was there. Um, and then, of course, he closes the chapter with asking God to, to, search him, to search him and know his heart, to test him and know his anxious thoughts and to see if there's anything offensive in him and to lead him in the everlasting way. So I think that our thoughts can be greatly influenced. In fact, I know our thoughts are greatly influenced by God himself, if we would acknowledge that. Because, um, e- okay, e- even if our thoughts are only influenced by our nature and nurture, God still knows every single one, every single person's individual thoughts. He knows every single one. We are not alone, even if we are on a track that we seem, maybe it's an allusion to our free will, or of course, we're not going to dive into that, like I said, but, but, but the point is, is that we are not alone, that God knows every single one and that he's there constantly. The power, I believe, is still in our hands to surround ourselves with good things and good people. Okay, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. 
We have power. We have the control over who we associate with, what we put in our minds, what we watch, what we read, what we listen to. And that, if you say, if we agree, if we can come to some sort of consensus that it is only nature and nurture that affects our decisions and our thoughts, well, then I suggest that you make sure that the nurture is greatly a good a good influence on your nature that you you surround yourself with good people that ba- bad company corrects corrupts good character that you instead surround yourself with good company so that it encourages good character and helps you shape helps shape you to become the person that you are meant to be in Christ Jesus now as I said before, this whole debate can be tied into the free will predestination debate from a scientific point of view. Um, but of course, we will not go into that on this episode. Now, I hope you, I hope I got your minds thinking about who you really are and and what your thoughts are and where they come from. And I hope that you are not ter- too terribly distraught because we know that our identity is in Jesus and that our thoughts are known by God himself. So that's going to be it. That's going to be close out the the show. But I want to say that you can find out more about the show on the website, uh, theshineoutshow.wordpress.com. I am Noah Meyer. For more, go to the website, theshineoutshow.wordpress.com and look out for the next episode next week and tune in. We'll see you. Bye-bye.